Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Glad to hear you're doing well. My name is Jason. This is Electric Leftovers. It's a show I do. Wow. 120 some odd episodes in. I still have to tell people that. You just don't get it. There's no accounting, though, for some people, I suppose. Uh, welcome to the show. Hope you had a good week. Hope you had a good holiday for those of you celebrating holidays. Kind of weird, actually, isn't it? That like so many kind of Independence Day-ish kind of things all happen around the same time. Almost like maybe it was something else and we just converted them over to fit our means. <laughs> we don't do that, do we? No, that would be silly. Hmm. Anyway, uh, hope you had a good week and a good holiday. As I said, hope you continue to have a good week. And if you don't, well, fooling on you, I suppose. Welcome to the show. Let's talk about what's going on. The new stuff. There is new stuff happening. Wouldn't you like to know what it is? Well, listen close, little pilgrim. I'm going to lay it on you. Uh, we got some new stuff from Coolio, Wario Land 2. Heck yeah, the whole thing already on the website because I forgot to do it. Scarlet brings us some Turok, Wild Arms Second Ignition, Doom 3, and Wolfenstein The New Order. Jade has brought us Final Fantasy V, a whole bunch of Final Fantasy V. And I have brought some Final Fantasy VI. But wait, you say, didn't you already play Final Fantasy VI? You are correct, I will say. I have already played Final Fantasy VI, but this time doing it a little differently. Uh, we're going to be streaming through the game uh, just once in a while, and basically the first half of the game is going to be standard operating procedure. Once we get to the second half of the game, it's going to be three characters all the way through. I had a video of that a while ago. Can't find it anywhere. So this is going to be basically a redo of that. Uh, over in the forums, we've got Gamera, the original self-titled LP for Gamera. Yeah. Must be one of those new flying saucers I've heard them talk about so much lately. And we've got a new soundtrack for Among the Sleep. It's a game about a baby and a bear and alcohol. Those things go well together. It's not an alcoholic baby bear. But it should be. Uh, other than that, not a whole lot going on. Um, I know Scarlet's been doing some streaming and stuff. I know Jade's been doing some streaming and stuff. I've got this thing going on. I'm working on new projects as we speak. I should be able to start uploading... Uh, at least one new Let's Play within the next seven days or so. And, uh, hope you stick around for that and enjoy it. And stick around for the show because we're going to talk about a game. We're going to re read some reviews. We're going to rah, rah, rah. We're going to read some news. And we're going to talk about the movie that we watched this week for Roll Film. It's a nice little movie about some brothers. Uh, the movie's called Animal Crackers. Yeah.
chop down the forces of evil in this intense sequel to Golden Axe, batted the dreaded Dark Gold with the Barbarian, the Amazon, and the Dwarf. Use tough new warrior skills and dazzling magic. Kick, hack, and hurl away enemies in the struggle to recapture the legendary symbol of peace, the Golden Axe. So let the battle begin. Lift your mighty blade high to crush the demon Dark Gold. This is Golden Axe, too. Scarlet and I played it. Uh, think of the first game and don't really change much of anything. And it's exactly Golden Axe 2. It's just as boring. Oh, it is so boring. Uh, I mean, it's like a tiny graphical upgrade, a tiny music upgrade. But other than that, man, not, not anything special. And a gigantic Golden Axe is a symbol of peace? Hmm... Well, we probably better do that review since that's the music that's playing in the background. Uh, let's see. What do we got? <clears throat> oh. Oh boy. I'm gonna do that one for sure. Um, we'll read that one. We'll read that one. Yeah, we'll do these three. Alright, anybody else? Chujo the Silent. That's how it's spelled. Okay, we're going to start with this one. This is the one I'm probably going to disagree with the most, but we will, we will just see. Any hardcore gamer should be familiar with this title. It's an undisputable classic. A Golden Axe Review by Bungle in the Jungle. Oh boy. Golden Axe is a classic beat-em-up on the Sega Genesis with a medieval flavor that gives it a unique feel, as opposed to games like Final Fight and Streets of Rage, both set in modern-day urban settings. And not like King of Dragons or Knights of the Round. As with most of the beat-em-ups from this time period, there is three characters to choose from, all with different strengths and weaknesses. You can choose from the likes of a standard warrior, a sorceress, and a dwarf. All who have suffered at the hands of Death Adder and are seeking revenge. Sounds pretty standard, huh? Well, it'd be a lie to say that the story is, is, isn't somewhat diluted rubbish, but then again, if Italian plumbers and red overalls can get away with it, then this game has committed no crime. It's really the gameplay that matters. I'm going to pick this one apart as we go. Uh, n there are no strengths and weaknesses. The characters are... 
exactly the same other than their sprites and their magic. Uh, it is not a sorceress, I'm sorry. Um, and here's the thing, nobody plays Mario for the story. Everybody plays Mario because the gameplay is good. I don't know why people play this game, the gameplay is boring as hell. Basically, you have a three-button control scheme to contend with, and as with most of these types of game, a standard setup. One button for a special attack, in this case, magic. One button for your regular attack, and another to jump. Simple enough and quite effective. By jumping and slashing, you can also execute a jump slash. Wow, by jumping and slashing, you can do a jump slash? Who would have thought? Which is the move that I used throughout the majority of the game that worked equally well on regular opponents, as well as some bosses. The magic system is great, well, uh, great as well, allowing different spells depending on the number of magic pots you have. However, pots should be reserved for tough boss battles, as they are somewhat of a rarity. Which brings me to one of my favorite aspects of the game. I love the atmosphere, the enemies, and, and the bosses. Yes, many of your opponents will come back later with a different color scheme. Black looks so cool! But unlike in some other games, it doesn't feel like a cheap attempt to create variety amongst your opponents. This is me talking, because it is a cheap attempt to create variety amongst your opponents. And the bosses themselves are unique. Big sword-wielding knights, beefy men that can kick you straight into the dirt. Not to mention Death Adder and company. Also, it's pretty cool to find yourself journeying across a giant turtle and then a giant eagle with feathers and all as opposed to those featherless eagles. These aren't just stereotypical village settings, and I really love that. Another unique aspect of this game is the animals that you can ride. A dragon and another mythical creature with a long sweeping tail. Your opponents can use them against you, and you can knock them off and take charge instead. It's a very satisfying feeling to use an opponent's own weapon against them, using the dragons to shoot fire whoever is dumb enough to try and knock you from your steed. Great. Especially considering the time period this game was made. 1989, by the way. My only gripes concerning Golden Axe 1 are, one, the fact that it's way too short, only seven stages I believe, and can tend to be pretty easy if you don't beat it on your first try then you certainly will on your second. But still, I think there's plenty of replay value. You want to play this game again just to experience it one more time. There is no reason not to play this game. If you consider yourself a hardcore gamer, do yourself a favor if you've never played it and track it down, or at least play it as a ROM. It's a piece of classic gaming not to be forgotten, and one of the best games out there for the Sega Genesis. Pros. Great atmosphere, especially for a beat-em-up. It's not the same tired urban setting that you would expect. Two, the magic system is interesting and fun. Three, cool enemies and bosses make every encounter exciting. Four, the ability to use your opponent's creatures against them is very entertaining. Cons, way too short. A couple of extra, extra modes just don't make up for it. Could have been harder. Was a breeze for me to play through. Reviewers rating, four and a half. Hardcore gamers, but the game is too easy. Mm. Cool enemies and bosses. All of the enemies are exactly the same, except for what they look like. I don't think there are any, any enemies that move or react or do anything different than any other. This, when I talk about, like in the last episode, everybody remembers this game being better than it really is. I'm talking to Bungle in the Jungle. Let's go to our next one. Golden Spatula, a review by Officil. Please give. Golden Axe is a fighting game developed by Sega. Golden Axe is considered a classic, like many games of its genre, I just have to wonder why. Games like Final Fight, Golden Axe, and many more fighting games are supposed to be so damn great. 
but I just don't like them. When it comes to Golden Axe, I've played both arcade and Mega Drive versions, but I didn't like any of them because it's boringly repetitive and flawed gameplay. My god, I agree with Officer. I've gotta sit down. Story, N.A. An evil lord has come, saw and conquered, and now you must bring him down with a legendary, drum roll, Golden Axe. Gameplay, 4 out of 10. Replay, 1 out of 10. You begin by choosing one of three heroes, a barbarian, an Amazon, or a dwarf. Hey, he got that right. What's the difference? None, apart from their appearance and the different use of magic spells. He got that right too. You see, Golden Axe is simple. So simple it gets boring. You can only slash or shoulder charge people, nothing else. What makes the game stand out is the use of magic. Wow. In most games, it's kind of, it of its kind, excuse me, the fighter could use a special move for a couple of times, a move that would hit all enemies in the screen. Here things are a bit different. You collect magic potions in order to increase a magic meter, and the longer this meter is, the stronger the magic you will unleash will be. You will unleash will be, not to mention more pretty too. But is the game fun? For me it isn't because of serious gameplay problems. First of all, the fights are extremely boring with all enemies pretty much the same and bosses just bigger and a lot stronger versions of the small ones. You can only slash, jump slash enemies and you can also shoulder charge toward enemies. Uh, da -da 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 -da. But that move is so convenient that we use it 70 to 90% of the time and that goes for the enemies too. Generally, in the game, you'll use your shoulders more than your weapons. There are no weapons found, no special power-ups, no character advancement, nothing that could make the game look at least decent. At least the two-player game is a bit better since you will be bored with a friend and not alone. <laughs> graphics, five and a half, design, three and a half. While good for their time, the graphics of Golden Axe are a bit blunt. They have no life in them. Maybe the bad choice of colors, maybe the absence of good special effects like transparencies and distortions and many more, it just looks like a game lost between two worlds, the 8-bit and the 16-bit one. But all these are forgiven from me. What isn't though is the enemy design. What do we have here? Three, five, or six enemies? I don't remember since all of them look the same. The typical grunt, for example, comes in, what, five color variations? And the same goes on for the rest of the crew. The only thing that changes are the colors, something that doesn't change even for the bosses. The only commendable thing is the special effects quality when you unleash a magic spell. I promise, I did not read off Vassil's review before I started this. I don't do that. Uh, it, everything I complain about, he is complaining about. Sound 4.8, music 3. Boring, boring, boring music. Maybe I'm too harsh with this section, but the combination of the repetitive gameplay along with the extremely repetitive and below average music drove me nuts. The sound effects are nothing special also. And if I want to be fair, I gotta say that they could be much better. Positives, the magic spells each character has. Negatives. The battles get boring fast, way too much shoulder charges, a bit too simple music, sound, graphics for a game of its age and system. Also play Golden Axe 3 for the Mega Drive, Golden Axe for the Arcade, King of Dragons for the Arcade and Super Nintendo. Overall, 3.7 out of 10. We'll call that 4. A boring game and nothing else. I don't care if it's a golden classic, no pun intended. I find it very uninteresting and flawed. Reviewers rating 2 out of 5. Close enough. Uh, wow, Officer, buddy. I never thought I'd say it. I, I agree. Let's not talk about this and just move on. How can a dwarf be so awesome? A Golden Axe Review by Zylo the Wolf. It's been a while, Zylo. How you been, buddy? 
While the Sega Mega Drive didn't have as big third-party support as Nintendo had, Sega managed to release enough great games on their 16-bit system to keep making the Sega players happy for a long while. One of the biggest games before Sonic the Hedgehog got released and made the system even more popular, Golden Axe, was one of the most important games on the system. It's a port of the arcade game, which has the same title with a few levels and modes added. However, for some reason, Gilius's axe is no longer made of gold, which means that there are no golden axe in this port. Golden Axe is a side-scrolling beat-em-up where fight with weapons instead of fighting with bare hands. The game also takes place in a Tolkien fantasy world with dwarves, dragons, and monsters. You choose between three different characters to play as. The first is Axe Battler, a strong barbarian who can use average magic, but his strength is in his broadsword. The second character is Tyrus Flare, an Amazon who has the most powerful spells but are the worst melee fighter. Finally, there's Gilius Thunderhead, a dwarf who can use weak spells but possesses the mighty Golden Axe, which is great, and not gold in this version. All three characters are balanced, so it's possible to finish the game with all three, but 9 of 10 who have played with, uh, played this game will say that the dwarf was their favorite character. The story in this game is that the evil ki- evil knight, excuse me, Death Adder, have kidnapped the king and the pretty princess and are keeping them as hostage in his castle. If the people in the kingdom of Yuria don't want the king and his daughter to die, they better surrender to Death Adder and accept him as ruler of Yuria. Our three heroes can, of course, not allow that to happen, so they set on a journey to the evil Death Adder's castle to save their beloved king. In almost any other of beat-em-up, it's possible to pick up weapons that you can fight with. Since our heroes already have a weapon to fight with, Sega invented something else. Instead of picking up weapons, you can knock down enemies who are riding on monsters and then ride on them instead. For example, there are a few dragons you can use to shoot fireballs at the enemies. After that, the monsters have taken a few hits, they will run away from the stage. There are also two kinds of gnomes that you can hit so they drop something good. The blue gnomes drop magic potions which can make your your magic stronger, and the green ones drop food which will increase your health. As I said before, there are two new modes in this version. The first one is Beginner, which is an easier version of the first three stages. This mode is for novice players who want to train a little before they want to start on arcade mode, which is much harder. The other mode is Duel. In this mode, it's possible to either duel a set of monsters if you play alone, or duel another player if you have a friend to play with. It's not possible to use any magic in this mode, so it's not the best mode to play if you have convinced a friend to play Golden Axe with you. It's much better to play the arcade mode with a friend. Since it's originally an arcade game, the game is much funner if you have a friend to play with. It often happens two enemies gang up on your hero and attack him or her on both the right and left side. But if you are two players, then it's easier to work together to avoid that from happening. You also have two players to cast magic on the boss if you play with a friend. You can also set how many health points you want to have. If you choose to have 5 health points, then the game will be a bit too easy, but if you pick only 3, then the game is a great challenge. I don't even want to imagine what the game is like if you have 1 health point. I guess Ultra Hard is a good way to explain it. Golden Axe is a short game, it only takes about 40 minutes to beat, and the ending is the same no matter which character you pick to play as. But it's still enjoyable to pick up once in a while and play it again. It's not the absolute best game in the genre, but it's still a game that just about anyone can enjoy. Consider Golden Axe to be a welcome addition to your Sega Mega Drive collection. Please vote for Golden Axe. I edit that last part. Uh, you know what? I, Zylo gave it a three and a half. I gotta go with Officeil on this one. I really hate saying that just on principle alone, but I think Officeil hit it on the head better than anybody else. Um, 
Is it a fantastic game? No, it's average. It's barely average. Um, man, yeah, it, it just gets so boring so fast. I'll bet you'd like to hear some news. Wouldn't you like to hear some news? I'll bet you'd like to hear some news. Let's read some news together. Take my hand. Our lead story, playing the hits. Weird news is forever. But this is my last news of the weird column as now, oh no, as I am now exhausted after almost 30 years in the racket. In this final edition, I remember a few of my favorites. What am I gonna do on the show now? Chuck Shepard, I'm going to send you an email. Man, my deep thanks to Andrews McKeel Syndication and to readers who started me up and kept me going. Y'all take care of yourselves. Chuck Shepard. What are you... No! That, I'm canceling the show. I'm... I'm... Now, we're not doing the podcast anymore. I'm sorry. We can't have news of the weird. This has been a staple from the way back times. I'm a little sad. Well, let's just get it over with, I guess. 
1995, Chesapeake, Virginia inmate Robert Lee Brock filed a $5 million lawsuit against Robert Lee Brock, accusing himself of violating his religious beliefs and his civil rights by getting himself drunk enough that he could not avoid various criminal behaviors. He wrote, I want to pay myself $5 million for this breach of rights, but ask the state to pay it in my behalf since I can't work and I'm a ward of the state. In April, the lawsuit was dismissed. In 2002, the Lane brothers of New York, Mr. Winner Lane, 44, and Mr. Loser Lane, 41, their actual birth names, were profiled in a July news report, uh, Newsday report, made more interesting by the fact that Loser is successful, a police detective in the southern uh, South Bronx, and Winner is not, with a history of petty crimes. The sister said she believes her parents selected Winner because their late father was a big baseball fan and Loser just to complete the pairing. In 1996, a pre-trial hearing was scheduled for Lamar, Missouri on George Lair's lawsuit against the county for injuries suffered in a 1993 fall on, in the icy unpod parking lot of the local high school. The Carthage Press reported that Lair claimed damage to nearly everything in her body. According to her petition, all the bones, organs, muscles, tendons, tissues, nerves, veins, arteries, ligaments, discs, cartilages, and the joints of her body were fractured, broken, ruptured, punctured, compressed, dislocated, separated, bruised, contused, narrowed, abrased, lacerated, burnt, burned, cut, torn, wrenched, swollen, strained, sprained, inflamed, and infected. Well, how did that go? I need to know. In 2002, from time to time, News of the Weird reported on the fluctuating value of the late Italian artist Piero Manzoni's personal feces, which he canned in 1961. 30 grams at a time in 90 tins as art objects, though over the years, 45 have reportedly exploded. The price to collectors has varied, low of about $28,000 for a tin in 1998 to a high of $75,000 in 1993. In June 2002, the Tate Gallery in London excitedly announced that it had purchased tin number 004 for about $38,000. The price of 30 grams of gold in 2002 was a little over $300. In 1994, the New York Daily News reported in April on a cell block fight between murderers Colin Ferguson and Joel Rifkin at the Nassau County Jail. Reportedly, Ferguson, convicted of six race-related murders on the Long Island Railroad in 1993, was using a telephone and told Rifkin, a serial killer serving 203 years for nine murders, to be quiet. According to the Daily News source, Ferguson told Rifkin, I wiped out six devils, white people, and you only killed women. Rifkin allegedly responded, Yeah, but I had more victims. Ferguson then allegedly ended the brief incident by punching Rifkin in the mouth. In 1999, we have a story at last, a job that actually requires geometry. Commissioners in Florida's Seminole County and Manatee County passed ordinances regulating public nudity by requiring women to cover at least 25% of the area of their breasts and at least 33% of the buttocks, which detailed instructions as to the points from which each coverage must be measured. Refresher for law enforcement. The lateral area of a cone is pi times r times s, where r is the radius and s is the slant height. For the surface area of a sphere, it's pi times r squared, and alas, for a flat surface, it's length times width. And now you know. Measure the coverage of your own breasts and buttocks when you're bored. Uh, probably not something you want to do on public uh, transit. In 1998, on the day before Good Friday, 
not nearly quite as good Thursday, we should call it. Report of the Los Angeles Times is Dr. Ernesto A. Moshi Montgomery, who consecrated the Shrine of the Weeping Shirley MacLaine in a room in the Beta Israel Temple in Los Angeles, inspired by an image he said he had while riding on an, the actress's private jet. Montgomery said a subsequent large photograph of him with McLean was observed shedding tears, which had inspired prayers and testimony of miraculous hearing. In 2001, a child pornography investigation in Minneapolis turned up 1,000 suspect images on the office computer of a 58-year-old University of Minnesota classics professor named Richard Pervo. You guys know what's short for Richard, right? In 1993, in May, Elk River, Minnesota, landlord Todd Plasted reported that his tenant, Kenneth Lane, had fled the area, abandoning his rented farmhouse and leaving behind at least 400 tons of used carpeting, at least 10,000 plastic windows from Northwest Airline planes, and rooms full of sofas, mattresses, and washing machines, among other things. Lane told townspeople he ran a recycling company, there was no evidence of sales. A deputy sheriff driving by the farmhouse the year before saw Lane burying carpeting with a tractor and said Lane merely muttered, I don't know what to say. You got me. I can't even make up an excuse. I like that. I like that in a guy. In 1990, an FBI investigation into interstate excuse me, trafficking by diaper fetishists resulted in the arrest of five men belonging to an organization called the Diaper Pail Foundation, which has a letterhead and publishes a newsletter and information ex exchange for members. Well, why not? A Madison, Wisconsin man arrested in April for possession of child pornography. Oh, that's why was found inside a van taking pictures of a child rel relieving himself. The man had offered service to the child's parents as a toilet trainer. Source unavailable, but Diaper Pale Foundation is searchable, says the story. In 1992, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported in June on the local Silent Meeting Club, consisting of several people who gather at various spots around town and make it a point not to speak to each other. Founder John Hudak said his inspiration was his observation that people often feel obligated to talk when they really have nothing to say, such as at parties, and wondered how nice it would be to, quote, have a group of people where you wouldn't have to talk. I think he spoiled it by giving a statement. In 1991, in May, Maxie Dean Filler, 60, of Compton, California, finally passed the California bar exam. He graduated from law school in 1966, but had failed the exam in each of his previous 47 tries. By then, you've spent the money, you know. 2004, the New York Times reported in February on a Washington, D.C. man whose love of music led him, in the 1960s, to meticulously hand-make and hand-paint facsimile record album covers of his fantasized music, complete with imagined lyric sheets and liner notes, with some of the albums even in shrink wrap, and, even more incredibly, to hand-make cardboard facsimiles of actual grooved discs to put inside them. Mingering Mike whom a reporter and two hobbyists tracked down, but who declined to be identified in print, also made real music, on tapes, using his and his friends' voices to simulate instruments. His 38 imagined albums were discovered at a flea market after Mike defaulted on storage locker fees, and the hobbyists who found them said they were so ex exactingly done that a major museum would soon feature them. Yeah. In 1999, from a May police report in the Messenger from Madisonville, Kentucky, concerning two trucks being driven strangely on a rural road, a man would drive one truck 100 yards, 
stop, walk back to a second truck, drive it 100 yards beyond the first truck, stop, walk back to the first truck, drive it 100 yards beyond the second truck, and so on. According to police, the man's brother was passed out drunk in one of the trucks, so the man was driving both trucks home. Though the success of such a scheme is better imagined if the driving brother had a high blood alcohol reading too, which was the case. And finally, I guess our last news of the weird forever. Better not be. I'm going to check it next week. But this might be it, so let's let's take a moment. Thank you. In 1988, from the very first News of the Weird column came good old Hal Warden, the Tennessee 16-year-old who was married at 15 and granted a divorce from his wife who was 13. Hal had previously been married at age 12 to a 14-year-old and fathered children with both. But the first wife divorced Hal because, as she told judges, quote, he was acting like a 10-year-old. The precise citation is inaccessible, but various material reports on the wardens are available through the Associated Press. And, uh, well, wow. Thanks, News of the Weird. Thanks, Chuck. Charlie. Charlie Shepard. I'm going to email him. Tell him what a great job he did. You should, too.
Hey everybody, I wanted to take just a quick second to thank you all so much for listening to the show and to let you know how you can get in touch with the show. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Electric Leftovers on both places. You can call into the show, leave a message, 1-800-871-9012, extension 700491, or you can email me, jason at lowbiasgaming.net. Thanks very much. Appreciate you listening. Seeing it, I'm me. I've been me through the whole show. You probably knew that. <laughs> and I'm not him. That would make it complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picked the movie this week. And I picked a very good movie. Starring four very funny people. Uh, and that movie was Animal Crackers, starring the Marx Brothers, from 1930, one year before M. Remember M? This is nothing like that movie. No. So here's, here's the box. It says, Mayhem and zaniness ensue when a valuable painting goes missing during a party in honor of famed African explorer, Captain Spaulding. Hooray for Captain Spaulding, the African explorer. Jeffrey T. Indeed. Or, well, it changed. His name changed once or twice. As it is one to do. So, um, I've seen this movie probably nine or ten times. I actually watched it twice. Um, I think I watched it the night we recorded the last show. And then I watched it again a couple days ago because I love this movie. Is one of my favorite movies. Um, Had you seen this movie before? Uh, I don't think so. But Mark's probably probably together for me. You know, they run together for people who like the films too, and that's not a criticism. Because they're all very samey. But it's samey in a way that if if you're a fan of the films, it's a good kind of samey because you always want more of it, but you don't want. Like, a three-hour Marx Brothers movie wouldn't work. You gotta have oh. it hour-and-a-half chunks. Yeah. 
There's only so much slapstick you can take in your life. There's not even a whole lot of slapstick in this film as compared to some of the others. Yeah. Uh, Further on down, our storyline, as written by Ken. Hi, Ken. Captain Spaulding, the noted explorer, returns from Africa and attends a gala party held by Mrs. Rittenhouse. A painting displayed at that party is stolen, and the Marxists help recover it. Well, maybe help isn't quite the word I was looking for. This is the Marx Brothers, after all. And, uh, yeah, um, it's a very good movie, I think. Uh, let me, if you've never seen a Marx Brothers film, there are, there are two that I would suggest you start with. And it's either this one or Duck Soup, which came later in their career. And the reason I prefer these two is because it doesn't wait to get you a lot of exposition. There's very little exposition in this movie. It comes quick and hard in the first, like, three minutes, and then that's it. Uh, Duck Soup doesn't even have that. Duck Soup is, I refuse to fund your government unless Rufus T. Firefly is made president. And then say, okay. And then the movie. Movie proper begins. Uh, In this movie, our hero, Groucho Marx, plays Captain Jeffrey Spaulding. Uh, spelled two different ways in the movie. I don't know if you noticed. Jeffrey with a J and Jeffrey with a G. Uh, it within about ten seconds of each other. Yeah. Uh, we have Harpo playing the professor, Chico playing Senor Emmanuel Ravelli, and Zeppo playing Horatio Jameson. As always, we have Margaret Dumont is in here. Uh, Margaret Dumont, probably one of the best straight people. In all of filmdom, just for her roles in these movies. Yeah, she was a good foil for them. Works really, really well in all the films. And there, there's this rumor that she never understood the humor of it. But I don't think you can be in these movies and not understand it, you know? Well, the um, months and months ago, I think I told you I was a podcast and they were actually talking about cosplayers and specifically about her and her role with like her interplay with Groucho mm-hmm. and said that they did not get along and they did not like each other at all yeah. and I think that actually kind of adds to it uh, why they were so well together I think that's that's kind of a a recurring theme with these guys because they were so not formal I guess they were not they were not film people they were vaudeville people and theater people and there there are stories the the director Victor Hearman of this movie didn't want to work with them anymore after this film but they like just told Paramount, I think, when they ended up moving to Paramount, we're not going to do a movie with you unless he directs it, because we loved working for him. Right. And he absolutely could not stand working with them, so... Yeah. And there's there's another story, I don't know if it's true, we're going to talk about the movie, I promise. Um, there's another story about one of these producers at MGM. Uh, this was a Paramount film, they went to MGM later. Uh, 
I believe it was a producer for MGM who would schedule these appointments with people and then just show up like hours late. And he had a meeting with the Marx Brothers and he was very, very late. And they just were hanging out in his office. And I got on his phone and called the kitchen and had them send up potatoes. And they like took all their clothes off and they like moved his couch in front of his fireplace and sat on the couch and roasted potatoes while waiting for the guy. And as the story goes, he was never late to a meeting with anybody ever again after that. (laughs) While showing up late to roasted potatoes would not inspire me to ever be early. And I don't know how... I don't know how many of the brothers there were. I don't know if it was three of them or four of them. But I don't think at that point, if there are naked men roasting potatoes in your office, it matters how many there are. No, I think, I mean... Four is probably, you know, at one point, yeah, at one point it's like, this is really weird. (laughs) And then after that, it's just like, this is absurd. Yeah, there's a big difference between zero naked men roasting potatoes and one naked man roasting potatoes, but not a lot of difference between one naked man roasting potatoes and four. Yeah. So, uh, our story... Mrs. Rittenhouse, played by Margaret Dumont, is having this big gala kind of a thing that you did back in the, I believe this was shot in the 30s, but was supposed to have taken place probably in the late 20s. And was having this big party, and it was, you know, the big to-do, the social event of the year, and um, Roscoe Chandler, an art dealer, was... Uh, letting her basically on loan a painting of his. The, uh, what are their names? Whitehead and Carpenter. I think Carpenter? Mrs. Whitehead and Mrs. Carpenter are kind of like, they're not like the rival family, but they're like, well, we can't let her have the biggest event of the year. We have to have the biggest event of the year. Let's ruin her event. And one of them happens to have done a copy of the painting way back in art school and it's terrible and I don't know why she kept it but she kept it and they convinced the butler Hives it's a terrible name Hives the butler to swap the real painting for her crappy painting to kind of you know throw throw a wrench into the whole deal meanwhile Mrs. Rittenhouse's daughter Arabella and her fiance John are trying to get married and she's all for it and he's like well I don't have any money why would you want to marry me and you know she's trying to convince him that it's time to get married and he's like no hold on I don't I don't want to just yet so they find out that John has painted a copy of the same picture and they're going to substitute his for the original and then during the unveiling when Roscoe Chandler is giving his big, oh, it's so amazing, it's so beautiful, then they'll say, you know, from the back of the room, and I painted it! Kind of a thing to get him some commissions so he can get some money so they can get married and live happily ever after. Right. Let me see if I can actually find the quote, because she has a line there that is pretty good. Arabella. It might not be in here. There are so many good quotes. I 
yeah, here's here's the line you just quoted. Mary, you on what? Last year I sold two paintings, one on a hundred and one at fifty. Could we live on a hundred and fifty dollars a year? Just we wouldn't need any money. I've got a charge account in every shop on Fifth Avenue. And he he says, if I had any brains, I'd give up painting and get a regular job. You know, I had a cousin who made $50,000 on Wall Street last year. She says, I don't want to marry your cousin. I'm a darn fool. I want to marry you. Yeah, I think she also says something like, you know, with that kind of money, we could get married and divorced again. Yeah, that's the one I'm looking for. So we'd be married and divorced in six months before you know it. Yeah. It's, it's very quick humor when it's dialogue and I appreciate yeah um so needless to say they have the unveiling turns out the painting's a fake they you know everybody panics they call the cops they can't find the real one they can't find the bad copy and they can't find the good copy they, they've all just disappeared and our plot is just kind of wrapped up in that in in a really just kind of oh yeah we need to end the movie uh here they all are way but you don't watch these movies for the first five minutes and the last five minutes no you watch them for everything in between yeah and they're really really funny i think um There's just so many great things in here. The strange interludes were my favorite. Now that you actually saw them, what did you think of the strange interludes? <laughs> I, uh, I definitely was not as much of a fan of them as you were. <laughs> oh, I think they're great. Yeah, I, this movie taught me two things. Okay. Uh, white people suck, because I was just like, wow, you guys don't have anything to do, but, you know, throw these big parties where people show up. <laughs> And two, I have a favorite Marx brother. Who is that? Um, probably Zeppo. <laughs> you know what? No, uh, that's that is very fair. Zeppo, I think he was not the he was the straightest of the Marx brothers. He's he's not a straight man by any means. No. But but he he's kind of the voice of reason. In the, in the personality that is the combined Marx Brothers, he would yeah. be the responsible one, but responsible in a way that I'll, I'll still, you know, give you a little elbow in the ribs once in a while if I need to. Followed by Groucho, but I find I felt the same way when I first started watching Marx Brothers movies. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Do you remember you got me something, I think, the first year we were dating? And it was a Christmas ornament. Oh, yeah. Grouchy Marks ornament. Yep. I sure did. And it's still up in your living room. It's in the living room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, the other thing, and I, and I had such a strong urge while I was watching this movie to go back and watch like the first two or three seasons of MASH because that was actually always my favorite part of that show was Alan Alda and the guy that played Travis Scott 
Papa John Marx Brothers sticks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was every time I would see Groucho Marx on the screen, that's what I would think of Alan Groucho Marx. And also, I don't know how to play bridge. And I don't think they knew how to pray bridge. Well, <laughs> I don't even know because she kept saying, I don't think your play is right. I'm like, well, you could have pulled me because I have no idea how you play bridge. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. Uh, uh, definitely, I'm not as much of a Marx Brothers fan as you are. And then combine like a musical with the Marx Brothers. Definitely not my favorite thing in the world, but I mean, it's solid and it's funny and it's, you know, it's clever. And there, I mean, some of the one-liners, like, I shot an elephant in my pajamas, how he got in my pajamas, I don't know. I mean, that is, that's, these are like the original dad jokes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I want to, I want to address this, this musical thing, because there's only two songs in the whole movie. Right. There's... The hooray for Captain Spaulding at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And then there's the why am I so romantic about halfway through. Yeah. Which which I don't think is a terrible song. I, I you know, quite liked it. I think um, songs in uh, Day at the Races, I think, are, are better than these. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is... They, they kind of got more musical later on and they focused more on the the romance of the two characters later on that they're trying to help because um, that's kind of how the movies went they went from just the Marx Brothers just being the Marx Brothers interacting with people to here's a couple of you know down on their luck hardworking young people who are in love but who can't be together because you know some big nasty guy from a bank is trying to con them out of something right. and the Marx Brothers come in and help out it we wouldn't have movies like Caddyshack if we didn't have the Marx Brothers. Oh, right. Well, and I thought also of one of my favorite movies, um, Noises Off. Yeah. Uh, which is very slapsticky, very funny, and we wouldn't have those kinds of movies either. And, you know, it's you like the slapstick in that movie, which I did too. I, I like Noises Off. I think it's a fine film. Um, but to not like Harpo, Harpo is the slapstick in this film. Uh, I think they're, well, I, I don't know what I'd say. I think they all are. I just find his stuff over the top, like, and not funny. Plus, this is just my own stuff when he's like, spends 20 minutes of the first of the movie chasing a young woman around the house. Not amusing to me. Not a music. Oh, but he, it's redeemable at the end. Yeah, I do like the, uh, when they're trying to take the painting, the Italian and professor, and they're, <laughs> do, you, do you have a flash? No, that's fish. Do you have a flash? No, that's flash. Do you have, <laughs> that was funny. And then when they're looking for the flashlight with the other flashlight. Yeah. Um, needless to say, the cops show up and there's all this hullabaloo about the cops showing up and eventually they, they find all of the paintings and, uh, Harpo had them all. He was using them as a blanket, sleeping on a bench in the garden. 
And, uh... That's just kind of how the movie ends. They get all the paintings back. Um, Harpo manages to essentially drug everybody in the household with a weed sprayer that has, I'm guessing, chloroform in it that the butler had for some reason. And, uh... Who had served time. Well, yeah, he's... But we don't know what for. He just says, the last time they suspected me, I got four years. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to say. Um, yeah, that's just kind of how the movie ends. I mean, it all works out. It always works out in a Marx Brothers movie. And, you know, we've had so many movies where it doesn't work out lately that I I thought something like this would be pretty, pretty good. Um, so one of my favorite scenes, I, I like the strange interludes, as you well know. Kind of like, uh, how happy I could be with these two if they'd only just go away. Right. Um, and there was the meeting with, uh, Spaulding and Chandler. That I've told you about this scene a couple of times where they get their names wrong. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm Chandler. No, I'm Spaulding, yes. No, wait, but, and then he, he asks for a program. Yeah. Talks about the, <laughs> the nickel, which I liked, the seven cent nickel and the eight cent nickel that was very funny uh one of my favorite quotes is actually from that scene and it's not the seven cent nickel and it doesn't so this particular scene it's Captain Spaulding asking Roscoe Chandler the art dealer questions what do you think about this what do you think about this what do you think about this and not giving him a chance to answer any of them uh as an example, he says, what do you think about art? Chandler says, ah, I'm very glad you asked that. He says, I withdraw the question. <laughs> yeah, he also does the, you seem to have a lot of opinions. He says, well, yes, I do. Well, if I ever want any of them, I'll ask you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, art is art, isn't it? Still, on the other hand, water is water, and east is east and west is west. And if you take cranberries and strew them like applesauce, they taste much more like prunes and rhubarb does. Now, uh, why don't you tell me what you know? Yeah, what does that mean? It means if you take cranberries and stew them like applesauce, they taste must taste much more like prunes than rhubarb does. I don't think that's true. It might be. I just don't think so. And I have to think that there there are so many stories about the Marx Brothers. One of the writers who did, I think, one or two of the movies, but most of the plays on, on Broadway they did. There, there's a story of him having a conversation with somebody backstage. And he kind of stops mid-sentence and he says, hold on a second, I think I hear one of my lines. Because they never went by the script at all. Right. And this movie feels a lot like they just... It, it feels like they just filmed a play. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, the the blocking and everything they do when they're standing all together. Um, even that, that strange interlude thing. There was a play going on at the time they were making this movie called Strange Interludes. So it was kind of a, a topical, I'm going to refer to this thing that, you know, if you're coming to the movies now, you'll know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um. I just thought it was exactly that because they are really weird 
when he just because everything stops and he just steps forward and in just this really droll monotone kind of voice and he seems irritated to be doing it did you notice that? yeah a little bit kind of like it's interrupting his thought by interrupting his thought Oh, speaking of, speaking of, uh, just before, speaking of rolling his eyes, when he, he reads the, like, what would be the direction, but he speaks it, he's like, he's talking to the two women, and he says, he shot her a glance, and then he does it, and then a smile played around his lips, then he makes that really weird face. Yeah. So, I mean... Captain Spaulding is, he's got to be my favorite character in this movie. Um, I just, I wish I could be as quick as he is. I'm pretty quick, but I'm not that quick. One of the first things he says to the Margaret Dumont character, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, which doesn't say much for you. Do you mind if I don't smoke? Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Just they're they're just so weird. Yeah. Uh, like I like to think that if it was if it was now and Mark Miller's thing, it would make a really good half an hour show. Yeah, I think so. Because you could just you know you could take it in small doses, I guess. It would it would essentially be a little bit of Fry and Lori. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Maybe without the characters, but it would be that. Yeah. Uh, the letter. Have you ever seen... He dictates the letter to... Uh, have you ever seen it? Somebody wrote it. No. But no, you can... Like... You can find it written. Like you just omitted the body of the letter, did you? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. It was. It was very entertaining. So it's and and I I knew when we when we started this one we weren't going to have a lot to talk about because there's not a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean we're not talking like. Yeah, there's no cinematography. There's, I mean, the plot is, it's almost a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah, I wouldn't call this a film, I would call this a movie. Yeah. Just because there's not, I, I do know it's so old that instead of saying, like, cinematography or, you know, whatever, it's photographed by in the opening credits. And this is at a time where, like, the the songwriters aren't credited. The producers not credited. Um, People of color are not credited. This is 1930. Um, and at this point, film was still kind of a, oh, well, you're not good enough to make it on the stage, huh? Yeah. And that was 
a real attitude about movies at this time. Oh, you're not good enough to do it in one take, huh? So you have to do it on film where you can do it as many times as it takes to get it right? Oh, sure. Yeah, they weren't making... They had only been making talkies for a short while. Yeah. And you're still trying to figure out what to do it. There's a little even dig at that in the movie. Um during one of the strange interludes um I, I think he's talking to the two women again and he says you know you're very fortunate the theater guild isn't putting this on and for that matter so is the guild <laughs> ah, just so good um I, I asked you when you were watching it to pay extra close attention to Chico and Harpo when they were performing music and, uh, so any other time they're they're totally relaxed they're just they're very in the moment kind of trying to one step ahead whatever somebody else is going to say back to them right but as soon as the music starts that stops yeah they are, they are all business because they started as a vaudeville act and that was really kind of the thing and they went from vaudeville to to plays and broadway and movies because they started realizing that you know people seem to like the stuff we're doing in between songs more than the songs <laughs> right. which you know i can totally understand why but i don't want it to sound like that takes anything away from the music because the music really darn good um That is all real-time stuff. Wow. And if you've never seen it, people listening right now, I want you to go on YouTube, and I want you to try and find video of Chico playing the piano. Because if if I could play the piano, I would want to play the piano like Chico Marks. Just watching his fingers, and he does that little, like, point thing. Yeah. Or he'll like just roll his hand like thumb to pinky to thumb again. Yeah. Across the that is just the most amazing thing to me. I don't even know why. It just it yeah, looks I mean, so cool. It clearly is, you know, they clearly took their craft seriously. And, you know, took took the things that they that they did well very seriously. And I appreciate that. And, you know, we mentioned Harpo and Harpo being there, I think, purely for physical comedy sake, because Harpo doesn't speak ever. Um, after our uh, hero and heroine, the two young people, have their song, Why Am I So Romantic, Harpo plays a rendition on the harp and whistles. And... His, you don't see Chico's face as much. They're more interested in what's going on with his hands. But if you look at Harpo's face, and every movie this happens in, he is just completely focused yeah. on on what he is doing. But as soon as it's done, it just like flip a switch and it's it's Harpo again. Right. In this movie, he plays this very nice piece. Um, which is, you know, a 
instrumental version, pretty much, of Why Am I So Romantic, and it's very, very lovely. Yeah. And and then as soon as it's done, he just has this the biggest, most cartoony yawn. And then we don't see him again for like 10, 15 minutes. Did, was his mustache painted on? Groucho's? Yeah, it looks like it. Go it, back and watch. No, the the eyebrows and the mustache. It's I think shoe polish is what they used. Oh, yeah. And they just yeah. But it looks pretty believable. Yeah. Until unless you're really grease paint. That's what Wikipedia says. Grease paint. Paying attention. Yeah. Works really well, I think. Yeah. Huh. You have a. Uh, any thoughts on the movie you'd like to share? I, I mean, I, I liked it. I am never going to be as much of a fan as the Marx Brothers as you are. I think I like Marx Brothers, like, in theory, more than <laughs> impressive. But, I mean, it's definitely, like, it's, it's just a good time. Like, it's not overly kinky. It's not, you don't have to pay that much attention. It's, you know, it's just funny, you know, movie times, and I definitely liked it, I mean, I give it, I don't really, I don't, I mean, they're like, these are the greatest movies, you know, this is one of the greatest movies of all time, like, I guess from a, you know, they were doing this thing first, yeah. kind of perspective, yes, I get that, like, Crafty Martin is like, one of the greatest comedic film actors of all time, I suppose, because he was doing it first. Um, I, you know, I would give this movie a seven. I, I, I think. It's a generous seven from you? It is generous. It's probably more like a 6.5, but I'll give it a seven because I understand it. So I, I give this one an eight. I probably give. Duck Soup, I would give an 9. And I think A Day at the Races, I also put at an 8. Um, just if, you know, you're you're wondering, uh, Day at the Races has uh, basically kind of the same story. Uh, Groucho is pretending to be a doctor. He's a veterinarian posing to be a doctor. Um, he gets called in to help head a sanitarium that is owned by not Margaret Dumont. Margaret Dumont is a patient and she said if we don't get uh, Dr. Hackenbush is his name. If we don't get Dr. Hackenbush, I'm leaving and taking my money elsewhere. So, to help out the sanitarium, which is owned by, you know, like a 23 year old girl and her 25 year old fiance who bought a racehorse that's how that one goes. It's it's basically the same story, but there's a racehorse. <laughs> and Duck Soup is uh, kind of... It, it's a lot like where we're at now politically. Um, which is to say nobody has any idea what they're doing. <laughs> but it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Groucho developed friendships with rock star Alice Cooper. 
the two were photographed together for Rolling Stone magazine. And television host Dick Cavett, who I can't believe is still alive. I knew that one. He he and Dick Cavett, he was on Dick Cavett show a bunch. Yeah. Um, he befriended Elton John, uh, insisting on calling him John Elton. According to writer Philip Norman, when Groucho jokingly pointed his index fingers as if holding a pair of six shooters, Elton John put up his pan- hands and said, Don't shoot me, I'm only the piano player. What? the album completed, which is a great freaking album. That is a great album. Uh, uh, Elton John accompanied Groucho to a performance of Jesus Christ Superstar. As the lights went down, Groucho called out, Does it have a happy ending? Uh, He said he described his favorite He described his ideal woman Oh, where'd it go? Because he was married a bunch Yeah During the early 50s, Groucho described his perfect woman Someone who looks like Marilyn Monroe And talks like George S. Kaufman And then what was the other thing I just saw? Um, He Oh, uh, so he was awarded in 1974. He was awarded an Honorary Academy Award. Jack Levin presented him the Honorary Academy Award. Uh, he took a bow for his deceased brothers. I wish that Carmel and Chico could be here to share with him this great honor. He also praised the late Margaret Dumont as a great straight woman who never understood any of his jokes. <clears throat> so I think that is... I, I, like, I appreciate that in person. Yeah, he... He was never in character because he was never out of character. Yeah. That was just him. And I kind of want to be him when I grow up. I kind of well, do. He died just a couple years before you were born. So you, you did. could be the reincarnation of and, and I was born on the same day as Frank Zappa, and they had similar facial hair. That's true. I mean, you're about as insufferable as either of them. That is also true. (laughs) So you said you'd give this an eight? I give this one an eight. And uh, before we go, I'd like to have a strange interlude. Living with your folks. Living with your folks. The beginning of the end. Drab dead yesterdays, shutting out beautiful tomorrows. Hideous stumbling footsteps creaking along the misty corridors of time. And in those corridors I see figures. Strange figures. Weird figures. Steel 186, Anaconda 74, American Can 138. Anyway, girls. You need to give us a movie for next week. Station, you and I have each seen every movie we've watched so far. So, is, it find, like, is it Finding Dory? Yeah. Shit! I, I, I have a two and a half year old nephew. I have seen Finding Dory. Um, so, I want to see something, and it's a Ewan McGregor movie. Oh, uh, I'm... Called American Squirrel, based on Philip Roth's novel. Ah, we, I think, watched a trailer for that and both thought it would be good to see. Because I would really 
for a lot. I have had a crush on Jennifer Conley since Labyrinth. I have had a crush on Ian McGregor since Trainspotting, which says a lot about me. She doesn't. She doesn't talk to me anymore. Jennifer Connelly. Or ever. Yeah. She was so obnoxious in that movie. You really had a crush on her. She was cute. Even now, watching that movie, I kind of just want to punch her in the face, being whiny the whole time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can watch that while I'm there. You can record live in person instead of, you know, over Skype. Uh, we might even watch our next movie. Um, if we do, we'll record the bit and then I'll tell you guys the movie in the next show. But yeah, we'll watch this movie and record it for the next show. And after this movie, we might watch the next one because I've got a, a huge list I can just pick from. And I've narrowed it down to two. I can get the movies, it's going to be easier because I've just been picking based on what I can find on either Amazon Prime or Netflix. Mm. So now that I have kind of a broader range, I yeah. think I can find others. Um, but yeah, uh, American Squirrel is on Amazon Prime. So. Uh, let's see. Rated R. Uh oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Yeah, his daughter's blowing up post office. Yeah. Angry about being white and black. Sounds like someone I know. <laughs> You've only burned down houses, though. True. Dakota Fanning. So, she's all grown up. Oh, it's got David Strayhorn in it. I saw that. I'm looking at the... Him. Ocean James. Sweet. I don't know who that is. Doesn't sound like it should be a girl though. Anyway, yeah, we'll uh, we'll watch American Pastoral. You should watch American Pastoral, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. And um, if you have any ideas for movies. Um, or any thoughts about the movies we've watched or thoughts about what we've thought about the movies, uh, you can find Electric Leftovers on Facebook and Twitter and uh, tell us why we're wrong instead of just yelling into your phones. <laughs> no one knows what you're listening to. You're just yelling at a phone. That's what I do when I listen to podcasts. It's what you do when we're talking. In yeah. person. Yes. Anywhere. Yep. Screaming. <sighs> we'll see you next week, folks.
Well, folks, that's our show for the week. I want to thank you for listening. I always want to thank you for listening. You guys are all right. And uh, I really kind of hope this wasn't the last of the news of the weird. If so, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to take that out of the show. Then we won't have to split it up for the movie thing. But, man, I don't know. It's just been a thing for so long, right? I guess we'll see how it goes. Thanks for listening. I want to remind you, you can find everything about the show on lowbiasgaming.net, Electric Leftovers on Facebook and Twitter, and all the contact stuff you heard earlier in the show. Thanks again. Have a great week. Now what you do is you get some shy white rock bands with trite white wristbands and sight of Mormons and fright of Christians. The drool in the corner of their mouths is glistening. You can't hear shit for the whistling above all the people. Uh, an undead beetle, a hair transplant, and a junkie. What? Come friendly bombs and rain on keen and anyone that's ever been like featured in the anime, and that includes me. See the world bank don't do shit for free. So read that drop tree, they see thee, and they are they, and they own thee. So they got all your water, mate. Yeah, they decide you don't expect. You can't send piss into wine. You can't rub pennies in a wound and expect it to be fine. There are no diamonds in the mines. Plus, we teeth the lot. So on the top of the pot, singing thanks for all the aids. And the bums and the nuns and the guns and the bombs on the trains. Thanks for all the aids. And the floods and the bloods and the drugs and the banning all the rights. Thanks for all the aids. And the Asian flu and for you and for making us slaves. Thanks for all the aids. Pray for me, Methodist, cause I fear the rapture Coming at ya, like Cleopatra Oh, you can never catch ya, the Donovan stature I'm evil on the mic like Margaret Thatcher Luke, made you look Bombs like a new come truer than the gospel According to my mate Luke It says here That this guy God wants to kill you if you quit Or if you're a Jew or you're an Arab A minor in a hole Or if you are a dog because you haven't got a soul Or if you are a dead baby you should count your stones and see how lucky you are So if your kids are on red and you are 12 times worse than the worst crack hurt I can say this cause I'm sure You ain't shit, we've been advised to quit But we ain't taking a piss when we say Thanks for all the AIDS And the bombs and the guns and the guns and the bombs on the trains Thanks for all the AIDS And the lies and the wives of the guys who be dying in spades Thanks for all the AIDS And the crap TV and for me and for bringing on the plague Thanks for all the AIDS